Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. So saying yes to kids ministry at Christ Church, I would submit to you that one of the markers or indicators of a healthy church family would be that there is no shortage of people who work with our children and youth. Do you agree? I mean, we need to have that in the church. I'll tell you this, and, I, and I'm not, this is more of a, let me be an example. My family is all in on this. My wife is right now teaching the children downstairs. My daughters are serving in the kids' ministry. We're putting our money where our mouth is, so to speak. And whenever I get an opportunity, I want to be a part of it. So I'm calling the church saying, hey, let's be a people who have no shortage of, of folks who say, I want to serve the kids. I want to invest in the next generation that's so important. Again, a marker, an indicator of a healthy church culture, and we want to have that. So let's grow into that. Say yes to that. Go see the people in the back when you leave this service. Let's pray as we get into the message this morning. Father, thank you so much for this time together, and thank you, Lord, that you've invested in us through Christ. You've made the ultimate investment in humanity, in this world, through his blood on the cross shed for us a blood-bought salvation that we have, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. And because you've gave it all, Lord, because you've, you've invested so richly in us, we desire to richly invest in your kingdom and your work. And so, yes, Lord, send us to work with our children or youth. Send us to go into the city of Pittsburgh. Send us to go into the nations, Lord. We desire to be a part of your kingdom work because you've given it all to us. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, we know you've invested in us through the truth of Scripture. So be with us. Open our eyes. Open our ears that we can hear. Help us, Lord, to process your word clearly this morning in a way that encourages us and challenges us to be the people you've called us to be. We ask all of this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. All right, so are you ready to race? Okay, tepid response. I'll take that as a no. We're not ready to race this morning, okay? Well, let me tell you this. In the writings of the Apostle Paul, and he wrote the majority of the, the New Testament under God's influence by the Holy Spirit, and he uses illustrations. He used military illustrations. When he talks about the armor of God, he used architectural illustrations. When he said, you are a temple of God, he used agricultural illustrations. We talked about reaping and sowing. Jesus did the same thing. And today, as you just heard from the scripture reading, Paul also uses athletic illustrations, illustrations from the realm of sports. Now, he's talking about a race in this passage. I ask you if you're ready to race. Talk about a race in this passage. We're not sure if it was a foot race or whatever kind of race it was, it may have been a chariot race. Chariot racing was incredibly popular. It was the sport of choice back in those days. Here's a depiction of it. I believe that's Pastor Barry riding on the horse. For those of you who know the Christchurch family, Pastor Barry's told me all about everything I know about ancient 
chariot race in the Olympics. And you could see that there was this little platform. That's a, that's a drawing, of course, but there's a little platform there with two wheels. And the chariot racer, who would often have four horses in front of him, would run a race around an arena. This was incredibly again, popular. It was dangerous. I don't know if you can imagine this, but the G-forces that come from four horses, and you're standing on this platform with two wheels. It took every nerve, every muscle, strained to the max in order to maintain balance and control. And I think maybe that's what Paul had in mind, perhaps. Could have been a foot race, but it may have been a chariot race. And as we read this passage, I want you to have this picture in mind of someone who's straining every muscle, every nerve, to maintain balance and control, to run a race that's in front of them because this passage that we're looking at today is all about a race. And so I ask you again, are you ready to race? Okay, that's a little more like it. We're ready to race. Hopefully you at home watching are also ready to run a race. Let's go back to the text. We just heard it read, but it's good to hear it again. I'm actually going to read from a different translation this morning. I've chosen it because of a few certain phrases that I like that are presented in the New King James Version. So if you're like, what's this? It's just a slightly different version. Follow along with your Bible there at home with us or in your pew. Or you can follow along the screens as well. Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already attained, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's race. Okay, so here we've got this passage, and I want to make this abundantly clear. In this passage, we are not learning, Paul's not telling us how to be saved. Let me make this crystal clear. This is not about salvation, what you're reading here. This isn't how salvation is attained. I mean, think of it this way. To participate in the ancient Olympics, one had to be a citizen of Greece. If you weren't a citizen of Greece, you couldn't participate in the Olympics. You didn't run the race to become a Greek citizen. That's not how it worked. In the same way, you don't run the race of life to become a Christian. Your, your place in the race is secured through Christ and his salvation. A way we can understand this is by looking at two theological terms. Stick with me here, okay? There's monergism and synergism. Let's talk about monergism first, okay? Monergism. Monergism means that it's one-sided. Monergism means that it's all God. I mean, think about salvation. Think about the gospel. God, the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, also created human beings in his own image, took them from the dust and made us in his likeness made us a part of his family. But of course, there's this problem that enters the picture, and that's our own rebellious nature. After the fall, all have sinned, and we stray away from God. We go our own way. But again, God, in his incredible, majestic love for us, sends his son Jesus to fix the problem, to amend what is broken, 
and call us through Christ back into his family, through the death of Christ on the cross, his blood shed for us, his body put in the tomb, but he rose three days later and he has victory over sin and death and the enemy. This is all one-sided. It is all God. It's a monergism. Think of it this way. I was just at the beach and one day in particular, the, the waves were really strong and there was the, um, the, the, uh, the jet stream kind of thing going on where there were people getting caught in this. And all day long, I was sitting near the lifeguard chair. The lifeguards were jumping down from the chair, diving into the water and saving people and bringing them back to shore in safety. And as I watched that, I thought, what a picture of salvation. God, who jumps off the chair and runs into the danger of sin, the ugliness of sin, the uncertainty of the waters of our brokenness. He dives in and he rescues us and brings us back to dry land. It's a monergism. It's all God. And what's motivating this in God? It's his love for us. His incomparable, incredible love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I want you to hear this loud and clear. As we talk about running the race, we have to understand this first. Salvation is monergistic. It's one-sided. It's all God. We're passive. He alone is active. You get this. You can do nothing to earn your salvation. You can do nothing to earn your place in the race. It's not how we run the race. Look, there's something that Paul says and what we just read here that's worth pointing out as we talk about this monergism, okay? And it's this. He says, I've, um, I, I press on that I may lay hold, that I may take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already laid hold or taken hold of me. I love this. Taken hold. Christ has taken hold of us. Christ has taken hold of you. It's an embrace. It's an embrace of love. Listen, this monergism, this one-sided act of God, salvation, where we're passive and he does it all. It's his embrace. He wants to take hold of you. Here's what's happening. Some, even right now, want to squirm out of his grasp. Some want to gra uh, squirm out of his embrace and say, no, I don't want that. That's weird. I don't, I, don't, I don't want this thing. I don't want to be a holy roller. Or I want to live my way. Listen, would you accept and embrace God who is embracing you through Jesus and saying, be mine. I love you. It's all on me. It's one-sided. It's a monergism. I will give you a place in the family. I want that to be crystal clear. What we're talking about here, we're talking about not justification. That's what this is talking about. Monergism is a justification. I'm sorry. Moner uh, a justification is a monergism. Salvation is a monergism. It's all one-sided. God has declared us righteous in his sight, and it's all on him. He has taken hold of us. He has taken an embrace of us and hugged us and brought us in close. Don't squirm out of his grace. Don't squirm out of his embrace. God has loved us. It's a monergism. That's what salvation is. Now, we're talking here in this passage about a synergistic thing. We're talking about something that's, that's synergistic, a synergism. Sanctification, 
which is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian, which is us growing in personal holiness. Now that is synergistic. It's a synergism. In other words, it's us cooperating with God in his work in us. Let's talk about this a little bit more. You know, I love that that Paul, once he says, I've taken hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me, he also says that I press on. He says that I stretch forward. He says I press forward. These are all terms that have urgency in them in this passage. He's talking about this race he's in. And he's using words that reflect the sense, again, of urgency and activity. In fact, stretching forward, that phrase that he uses, stretching forward, means exactly from the the ancient uh, Greek that he is stretching forward in a race. That's what that word means. Stretching forward. I'll give you a picture of what this looks like. Take a look at these um, shots from the Olympic Games, which just concluded. You know, look at these pictures from a spiritual standpoint. Look at these pictures with spiritual eyes. You know, here you see some, some swimmers getting ready to race. Have you taken the dive into the pool of God's grace? Have you made that plunge? Or consider this. Have you? Um, and as you do take that plunge, you face challenges of many kinds. They feel like hurdles sometimes to get over. Look, it takes everything you have in Christ by his grace to take on those hurdles and challenges that we face in life. And sometimes there's feels like there's things that we've got to jump over. Again, in order to clear the obstacles that we face, in God's grace, we need to strain and use every muscle. We need to, to stretch forward in order to do this. Like we're running a race. It takes concentration in order to run the race that God has put you on. It takes great focus. Maybe you're unfocused as you come in here today. Maybe you find yourself distracted by things of the world, things of your job, things that are going on in your personal life. It takes focus to run the race. Get your focus back. And it takes every single muscle. You see that guy throwing the discus? Every muscle is being activated. Every bit of strength is being drawn upon in order to be a part of the race to compete in the games that God has put us as a part of. And then finally, as we run the race, just like it says, we are stretching forward. We talk about this idea that there's this stretching forward, stretching as in a race. You see it right there. We use everything we have as we run this race. We're talking about running a race this morning, pressing on, stretching forward, pressing toward. There's an urgency in these. And listen, the point is plain and simple. There's an urgency in our synergistic relationship with God and the process of sanctification in our lives. You are called to be a person who is stretching forward, who is pressing on, laying hold of that which Christ has called you to. I'll tell you this, you are on a track. If you're in Christ, if you have trusted in Jesus, if you've taken that monergistic work of God, it's all him. If you've received the grace of Jesus, if you have given yourself to him, then you are on a track. There's a lane for you to run in. There's a prize for you to pursue in Christ. Now, there's some traps in here, okay? 
And the traps can be this. On one hand, we might think, well, I must do it all. I hear Craig talking about this synergism. Well, then I must do it all. That's one of the traps you might fall into. The other trap would be this. The other trap would be, well, God must do it all. God has to do it all. Listen, there's this synergistic relationship. There is our duty. And we're called to live in fellowship. We're called to worship God and, and spirit and truth. We're called to study the scriptures. We're called to, to learn, to hear his voice through the Holy Spirit and be obedient to the Lord. All those things are true and more. But there's also, along with our duty, there's God's grace. And there is no sanctification. There's no sanctification. There's no growing in holiness apart from the grace of God and his power. Don't confuse means with causes. Don't confuse means with causes. There are means of grace. The things we've talked about. Worshiping in spirit and truth. Being in the fellowship of the community of believers, the church family. Being in the word, praying. But those do not cause growth. This is an important point. God works in us that he might work through us. God works in us that he might work through us. There's this synergism that's going on. That's what Paul's talking about. Don't confuse it with the monergistic work. Don't confuse it with the thing that's one-sided, that God has saved us through Jesus. Are you in his grasp? Are you squirming? God has placed you through Christ. He wants to place you on a track to give you a lane to run in. There's a prize for you to pursue. Let's talk more about it. Let's go back to the text. Philippians 3, picking up once again now in verse 15. Therefore, let us, as many are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. I want to look at what we've already read, 12 through 14, and now 15 through 16 together. And I think as we consider this, this running or this racing metaphor illustration, we can consider three strategies that you need in order to run the race. Let's look at these as we consider again verses 12 through 16. The first one is this. The first rule to guide your preparation, to guide your racing is this. Know yourself. Know yourself. Consider what Paul says in verse 12. He says, not that I've already attained, I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He says, not that I've already attained it, not that I'm already perfected. Here's the apostle Paul saying this. You know, it reminds us that we have to know ourselves. I'll tell you this, and I'm not picking on you here, but listen, it's true for all of us. We have miles to go. Let's make it personal. You have miles to go. I have miles to go. We tend to compare ourselves with others. That's the human tendency. To look out and see someone, try to compare ourselves to them. Look, you might be comparing yourself to someone who's not going very far. Don't compare yourselves. The other trap is that we, we might feel worse about ourselves or feel better about ourselves. Look, we are nowhere where we could be. Hear that from me in love. You are nowhere near what you could be. You're just scratching the surface. 
of what God has purposed you for. You're scratching the surface of what you can be in Christ. I hope that's motivating for you. I hope that's encouraging for you. It's meant to be because we are nowhere near where we could be. At the same time, we're farther ahead than we ever could be on our own. It's by God's grace. I want you to hear this. There's miles to go. You have to know yourself. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. There's miles to go. You're nowhere close to where you could be in Christ. Paul knew this. Here's what Paul says. Paul says, I'm forgetting what's behind, basically. Not that I've already attained any of this. Not that I'm already perfected. Let me remind you, this is the guy who just a few verses previous tells us, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. And he gives out his resume. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In the Jewish tradition, that was the perfect timing. His family did it just right, okay? He says that I am of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. This is a guy whose namesake was King Saul. He comes from that kind of bloodline. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews is what the scripture says. It says concerning the law, a Pharisee. He chose the strictest sect of Judaism, the, the highest level. He attained that. He says concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He was so zealous about the Jewish tradition that he was there persecuting, pointing the fingers at the Christian church. And he says, concerning righteousness, which is the law, blameless. All 600 plus rites and rituals of the law, he found himself blameless. And he says, I'm forgetting what's behind. I know myself. And I don't count any of that worth anything. There's more perfection in Christ ahead of me, is what he's saying. So listen, the first rule of the race is this. And maybe you need to hear this in love this morning. Know yourself. Know yourself. Ask God to search you. God, search me and know me. Know my anxious thoughts. There's more growth for you. There's more ahead. Don't think that you've attained. Paul says, I haven't attained it. I think we can all safely say too, we haven't attained it either. So the first rule for running the race is this, know yourself. The second one is this, keep your eyes on the prize. I love that, that Paul says here, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had his eyes on the prize. You might say, well, what prize is that? Is it some sort of, abstract reward? Is it heaven? What's the prize? Well, maybe a better way to phrase the question is, who is the prize? Who is the prize? You know who the prize is. The prize is Jesus Christ. Again, let me take you back to Philippians 3.8. Here's what Paul says. As he outlined this. Remember, we have to look at the whole scriptures together. We look at this passage together. We let scripture reveal scripture to us. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That whole resume says I consider garbage that I may gain Christ. What was the great reward for Paul? What is he submitting to us and saying, this is the prize? It's Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. To be face to face with Jesus is the prize that you and I need to set our eyes on. 
to keep our eyes on him, to know him, to see him, to adore him. What's the prize? Where are your eyes right now? Why are you experiencing this, this disappointment and discouragement? It could be that your eyes are on the wrong prize. Keep your eyes on the prize, the prize of Jesus. Consider the words of Hebrews chapter 12. When you're running this race, here's a race metaphor again for you. Hebrews 12 says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The goal is not a what, it's a who. The goal is Jesus. We fix our eyes on Christ. To know him, that is our great reward. So we see the first two race strategies that are here for us. The first is this, know yourself. The second is this, know what the prize is. Keep your eyes on the prize. The prize is Jesus. And the third comes from the, the end of the scripture here that we just read, where it says that we, uh, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. We've been talking about the mind during this series on Philippians. Paul says, be of the same mind. We talk about how that means like literally one soul. That we're called to be a people who are like-minded, one-minded, one-souled, so to speak. We are called to be a people who have the same mind as Christ. Well, how do we have that? Well, here's the third race strategy. It's to know the word. How are we going to have the same mind? How are we going to have the mind of Christ? It comes from us knowing the word of God. You know, we get sidetracked. We get sidetracked and we become passive. You might be coming to this place today that way, feeling, you know what? I think I'm good. I've done enough. I've earned a little bit of rest. We tend to want to slide into passivity. It's like the, uh, the old tortoise and the hare, the hare who decided he could take a break in the middle of the race. Some of you have found yourself in that same place today where you've become passive in the race. Yeah, you've received the monergism, so to speak, the one-sided gift of God by his love, grace, salvation to us through Jesus. You've been put on the track and you become passive. You've sat back. Look, you got to know the word. The other thing we do is we slide into self-reliance. We become people who, who forget grace. We drift towards a works mentality, thinking that somehow if we run the race right, we'll please God. We get the monergism and the synergism all mixed up. And if you come into this place, I've got good news for you. God will set you straight in the most loving, gracious way. God will set you straight. God irons out our thinking. God untangles all the knots in our hearts and our minds so that we can see the truth clearly. God shows us ourselves and he shows us Christ. And how does he do all this? Well, he does it by his Holy Spirit activating the word of God in our lives through the word. So I'll tell you this, if you want to grow, if you want to run the race, 
then have your thinking straightened out. Have the knots of your mind untangled by the word of God. God will show you yourself. He'll show you who Christ is through the word. I have a friend, we're, we're on an accountability text thread and we text each other during the week to make sure we're reading God's word together with a simple little check mark to make sure that we're doing that. And this week, I, I text my friend and uh, I encourage him to get back into reading the word. And he said, you know what? You're so right. I need to get back into it. He said, I'm a better person when I'm reading God's word. Now, that's not some magic trick. You know what it is? It's God ironing out your thinking. It's God untangling your thoughts and revealing to you what the truth is and making it clear. It's God showing you yourself and showing you who Jesus is. So immerse yourself in the Bible. Maybe that's your, your thing today. Maybe like the thing that is your takeaway from all this is, you know what, I need to get back in the Bible. There's a bunch of reading plans on the version app of the Bible. Pick one of those, get into it. We would love to. Go see us in the back of today in the commons after the service. We'd love to get you started on a reading plan of reading God's word. Read God's word. It's part of the race strategy. So what do we do as racers? Well, first, we've got to know ourselves. Second, we keep our eyes on the prize. And third, we've got to know the word. Let's go back to the text, speaking of the word. Philippians chapter 3, picking up in 17. Check this out. Paul says, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are uh, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind for earthly things. Here we have grounds for disqualification in the race. Pretty harsh words. I mean, enemies of the cross, end is destruction, mind on earthly things. These are the things that can get us tangled up and actually disqualified from the race. And, and what does Paul mean here when he talks about enemies of the cross? We're not exactly sure, but we have reason to believe that what he's talking about are people who were Judaizers. That is, people who were Christians who were attempting to add on the requirements of the Mosaic law to the Christians in Philippi. They were saying, no, no, no the cross isn't enough. You have to also follow these laws. In order to do this. So Paul says, look, these are people who are enemies of the cross. He's weeping through this. This is causing great distress to him. And so he, call, he calls them out. He says, their God is their belly. Well, what does that mean? Their God is their belly. Well, he's talking about their obedience, their insistence on obedience to the Old Testament dietary laws. You know, eat this, don't eat that, that kind of thing. And they were insisting that the new Christians, these Judaizers, that they would be obedient to Old Testament dietary laws. Look at a companion verse here that helps us understand it. Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23. I love how the Bible does this, how it fits together, and it helps us understand the big picture. Paul says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as, though you still, why as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its roles? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These roles, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom 
with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What he's saying is this, look, your obedience to the Old Testament dietary laws, your God is your belly, and you become an enemy to the cross by putting these things before the grace of Jesus. He says also that their glory is their shame. Well, what's he talking about there? Their glory is their shame. It's the insistence, the emphasis on circumcision. I'm giving you the historical background here. The emphasis on circumcision. Look at Galatians 6 to help us understand what he's talking about. Their glory is their shame. Galatians 6, 12 through 15. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Do you see this? These people had slipped into a thinking. They were being tempted by a group of Christians to slip into a kind of thinking that would end up being their shame and being their destruction. And Paul says this, are you rule following? Are you relying on your ability to be good enough to please God? Don't become an enemy of the cross. Look, there's a pertinent message here for us. I don't think there's anyone walking around insisting that we be circumcised. If so, I want to talk to you back in the commons after the service. We need to have a little chat. <laughs> We're not trying to impose that kind of thing on people, nor are we imposing any kind of dietary laws, but you know what we do slip into? Rule following. We slip into thinking that somehow through our, our church attendance and our, and our seeming obedience that we can please God. We're holding on to earthly rituals sometimes and beliefs when we end up actually opposing the heavenly blessings we have in Christ. i point this out as we talk about the disqualification. Here's how we end up not being disqualified. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above. There's our goal again. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died and your life is now hidden in Christ. Your life is hidden in Jesus. Let's go ahead and close up this section of the passage. Ephesians 3, pick up verse 20. So we've heard about, we've heard about the disqualification. We've got the rules running the race. And now Paul sums it up by saying, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be comforted, I'm sorry, conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Paul again raises the issue of citizenship. We talked about the fact that he had to be a, a Greek citizen in order to participate in the Olympic Games. And Paul says, listen, your citizenship is in heaven. It reminds me of, of a passport, I suppose. Recently, I did some travel to Guatemala with our mission team to, to explore some opportunities. We have to partner with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Guatemala. 
incredible hospitality, incredible experience. Of course, my passport was indispensable to me in that travel experience. And I'll tell you this, as great as the fellowship was, as beautiful as Guatemala is, it's breathtaking, as much as we love the people there, there is something about coming home. When we arrived in Houston, I pulled out that passport and I expressed that I was a citizen of the United States. There's something about coming home. I'm sure the Guatemalans would feel the same and feel the same when they leave the U.S. and go back to their hometown. There's no place like home. And I think that Paul here in these last verses, he wraps up this race metaphor for us, is pointing us and reminding us that we are citizens, not just citizens of Greece or America or Guatemala, but that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And through Christ, we are citizens of heaven. And he points us to the end of it all. Do you see it here? He points us to the end. He says our citizenship is in heaven. We're eagerly awaiting Savior Jesus Christ. He's going to transform our bodies. They'll be conformed to his glorious body. And he's going to subdue all things. He's going to put all things under Jesus' authority. He's pointing us to this great end. And I love it. He's not talking about premillennial or post-millennial, or any of that, Paul knows this for sure. There's a glorious future. Why does he run the race? Why is he stretching forward? Why is he pressing on? Because he knows that there is this upward call. He knows that there's a heavenly reward that awaits. He knows that there Christ is. There Christ will be. And we could be with him forever. So if this is who we are, citizens, and if this is where we're headed, heavenly glory, then Paul says this, and I say it to us also this morning, then we better be ready. We had better run the race that's put before us. There's a famous Olympian in the 20th century named Eric Liddell. Some of you might be familiar with that name. Liddell was a devoted Christian. He was a missionary. He was the British world record holder on what was the 100-meter dash. And he was a participant in the 1924 Olympic Games. We've got a photo of him actually participating. And, and Liddell um, was committed in his Christian faith to Sabbath observance. There's something we could talk about sometime. He was committed to Sabbath observance. And the final of the 100, his event, was to be held on a Sunday. And so Liddell, much to everyone's shock, pulled out of that race. He would not run. He would not run on a Sunday. Instead, he entered the 400-meter dash. Now, the 400-meter dash was hardly his strongest event. It was far from his strongest event. But yet... Liddell got into that race, that 400, and he won the Olympic gold. Not only that, he established in 1924 in those Olympic Games a new world record. And there's a quote that he said, reflecting on this some years later, about how that all came together. Let me read it to you. He said, the secret of my success over the 400 meters is that I run the first 200 meters as fast as I can. Then, for the second 200 meters... With God's help, I run harder. You know, I appreciate what Liddell's saying here, particularly the part about with God's help. And I think it's a great picture of this race that you and I have been called into. 
You pick your metaphor. You want to swim, you want to ride a chariot, you want to run, whatever it is. There is a race for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been placed on a track. You've been given a lane to run in or to swim in, however you want to look at it. Are you running the race? If so, how are you running the race? Are you in the game at all? Would you receive the embrace of Jesus, the Savior, and find that God has paid it all? He's done it all. It's all one-sided. And he wants to give you a place in the arena. I want to close by sharing this with you. 1 Corinthians 9.24. This, is, this passage we read today is the only time that Paul uses a racing metaphor. He also uses it here. Listen to these words. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Listen, my friends. Run in such a way as to win the prize. Run, swim, ride in such a way. Knowing yourself. Keeping your eyes on the prize. Keeping your nose in God's word to win the prize. I want to conclude by doing this. I want to ask you all to rise to your feet. And as runners in a race, I want to speak this blessing over you, whether you're here in this room or if you're worshiping with us online. So receive this prayer blessing over you this morning. God, thank you so much for this monergism we talked about, this incredible fact that you have done it all. You paid the price. You've accomplished the victory out of a great heart of love for the world. Through your son, Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord, that through Jesus, we're part of your family. Thank you, Lord, that through Jesus, we're sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord, that through Jesus, you've put us in the arena. You've given us a place to run. You've given us a lane to pursue your kingdom and your purposes in. And Lord, as we get next to the idea, we come into this place today and some are tired from the race. Some are facing some huge hurdles. Some have lost focus. Some have forgotten that they're in a race altogether. Oh God, would you strengthen every person in the sound of my voice right now to run the race that you have set before us. Not for some cheesy award, Lord. Not for a medal even. But so that we can know Christ. Help us, Lord, to pursue the upward call of Jesus. Knowing that there's a heavenly home with him that awaits us all. I pray, Lord, you'd strengthen us to persevere. I pray, Lord, you give us joy in the running. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the endurance to race in this life with all of our hearts. Teach us, Lord, to race for your glory. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Again, we have no place in the race without him. Thank you, Lord, for the love you've expressed through the passion of Christ. Let us, Lord, run this race with passion and with love as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.